Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and we have a very special guest on the podcast today and an incredibly interesting topic that I think will really help you as investors understand uh, in, in, a, in a way that maybe you've never seen explained before the functioning of fixed income markets around the world and the impact and uh, I guess involvement that an active investment manager can have uh, inside one of these situations. So we are really pleased to be joined by Paulina Kurdyavko, who is a partner and head of emerging markets, senior portfolio manager at Blue Bay Asset Management in London. Paulina, it is really great to have you on today. Dave, thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. What we're gonna focus on today uh, is the situation in Argentina. Uh, Argentina defaulted in, uh, in May. Uh, it's uh, not an unusual occurrence, I take it, for Argentina, Argentina to default uh, historically. But uh, could, could you give us some background on what happened this time out with Argentina uh, and, and this particular default? As you said, Argentina is a country that um, some might call one of the very few serial defaulters in the emerging market credit world. And it's not the first time the country has had to reprofile its debt. Um, as a country, it has structural imbalances that go even beyond the Kirchner regime over the last 20 years. I would say for almost 100 years, Argentina struggled to implement structural reforms that would open the door for FDI. And actually, only portfolio flow, or some would call hot money, uh, were funding the country growth historically. As a result, in 2019, um, when it became clear that the market-friendly government under Macri administration is unlikely to win the elections, portfolio investors became more concerned with Argentina's future and the risk of poor policy mix going forward. Hence, they were less willing to continue financing the country. As a result, Argentina was faced with a liquidity-driven default and needed to reprofile its debt. Many investors would, would, would look at this situation and say the bonds go to zero, uh, this is something you want to avoid uh, uh, from, from an investment perspective. Uh, but but you and the Blue Bay team uh, were were able to to in in, in some way uh, take advantage and 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 help the situation out and 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 deliver a great result for 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 your investors. What 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 were how, how did you approach this situation, Paulina? Well, firstly, I would say it's very rare that you have close to zero recovery in emerging market debt. Historically, if you look at the average recovery and defaulted sovereign debt in emerging market credit, it has been on average 50 cents on the dollar. In other words, if you have a par claim after default, you were able to recover 50 cents, 50% 50 of your claim. However, Argentina in particular has a rather poor track record of negotiating with investors, which resulted in recovery close to 30 cents on the dollar during the last debt reprofiling that we've seen in early 2000 to 2001. This time around, however, even though one could argue that the government was largely the same, again, it's a pro-Kishner administration, the negotiation between the government and the creditors was quite different. Despite ideological differences between bondholders or creditors more broadly and the current government, we believe even the government in, in, with its um, ideology realized that they have to find a market-friendly solution. In fact, um, 
we, we had two restructurings that were happening in parallel, Ecuador and Argentina. Both, you could say, are serial defaulters. However, what helped is firstly, Ecuador was conducting a very market-friendly negotiation, which set an example to Argentina of how you can achieve a much better and much quicker result. Secondly, when we got uh, we, when we looked at the Argentine, Argentine bonds, we saw that the bonds were trading in low 30s, and we felt that actually the recoveries, at least at historical average, were achievable. So we've added substantially to our exposure in a low 30s, and then we actively engaged with Argentina's government, and we were part of the uh, bondholder group leading the restructuring um, conversations with the government. In in fact, we achieved even higher recovery than. We what we expected, because the outcome of the negotiations was the recovery in high 50s, if you assume the exit yield of 10%. To me, um, that shows that probably has three main takeaways for investors in credit. Firstly, the fact that um, historical recoveries, um, even though they were already high, uh, this time around, were able to we were able to improve it even from an already high level. Secondly, even stories like serial defaulters like Argentina that had a very poor track record, I would say one of the poorest globally in negotiation with investors, this time around realized that the market-friendly solution is the only way forward, which meant that the restructuring talks did not last 10 years <laughs> like it did last time, <laughs> but was only a year or so. And last but not least, the examples of Argentina and Ecuador demonstrated um, to uh, the bondholder communities that this is a good template to use going forward. And I would say that should be positive for the asset class as a whole, because if that's the recovery that you can achieve, and by the way, let me remind you that if you look at US high yield asset class, the average recovery this time around are closer to 30 cents on the dollar. If you can achieve almost double the recovery on the US high yield um, than U.S. high yield credit and have lower historical default rate that should bring more investors into the asset class. Yes, and 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 as we have uh, we've been highlighting on uh, on this podcast uh, and through uh, through other written communications that we provide, particularly for Canadian investors who would be the primary audience for this podcast, Paulina, uh, it's uh, it's an asset class uh, that many Canadians don't hold, and it can be a very effective diversifier against your core fixed income holdings uh, as a Canadian investor. And so the, 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 the health of the sector overall, the story you're telling uh, is one that, that, that I think should reassure Canadians uh, that, that this is an asset class that they can be comfortable holding in their portfolio. And if you've got the right investment managers involved in it with the right global reputation uh, and expertise uh, to manage through these situations, uh, th this this is a, an important asset class for you to hold. Absolutely. And in fact, I would also add that another concern that often fixed income investors have can be addressed, i.e. liquidity. If you are an investor in U.S., uh, or um, European high yield credit, when credits go in default, often liquidity drops. It's not the case in the sovereign debt. Argentina having 60 billion of debt outstanding, not leaving the index as per the JP Morgan index route, rules means that even if you go through restructuring, your daily liquidity of the portfolio is not impaired by taking a position that is trading at 40 or 30 cents on the dollar. Excellent. Well, Paulina, thank thank you very much. This is a, a a really interesting story. And again, 
I, I, I think a perspective that that not many uh, investors have uh, have heard. Uh, they're not a they they haven't uh, had an explanation of how one of these situations plays out and the different ways it can play out, uh, along with all of the historical context. So uh, so Paulina, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, it was great catching up, and we'd love to have you on again sometime in the future. It has been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.